0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. I'm talking sports with my older brother, Chris. The title of this episode, uh, as given to me by my my brother, is an epic sports weekend. Instead of picking just one topic about what's coming up or what just happened, we're going to review this weekend from May 1st to May 3rd Tons of stuff happened, just to name, rattle it off off the top of my head. You had the Hawks versus Nets, uh, a great game seven between Spurs and Clippers, the NFL Draft, Kentucky Derby, Mayweather Pacquiao, even soccer. Chelsea won the Premier League today with a 1-0 victory. Um, Just a ton of stuff happened and tons of sports for everything. I mean, there's baseball going on, there's NHL playoffs going on. So really, uh, if you're interested in, in any sport, this is definitely the podcast for you. Just a disclaimer, this episode might run a little long just because we do have a lot to talk about, but Chris, what was your favorite part of this weekend?
1: Well, there are lots to choose from. As you said, you've rattled off a ton of very worthy candidates, however, In my mind, in any sport, nothing tops a Game 7. The drama that builds to that elimination game is unlike having just a one-and-done postseason. You got six games before where the teams get very familiar with one another. And it helped immensely that this Game 7 was epic in its own right, the 111-109 Los Angeles Clippers' victory over the San Antonio Spurs did not feel like a first-round game or series. It felt like a conference final. These two teams were heavyweights in every sense of the word. It was by far the best series of the first round of the NBA playoffs. And I was able to get home from covering the draft this weekend to see the second half of this. And it was just a back-and-forth slugfest fest. Down the stretch, it was just whoever had the ball last, except not really true because the Spurs had the ball last and they didn't get a good shot off. I think it was blocked by Blake Griffin. Um, But the play before Chris Paul was unbelievable. The shot he made, I believe it was over Tim Duncan, was just crazy. Even Tim Duncan said it was insane. And I think it all starts for me with Chris Paul. Throughout this series, he has played fantastic, especially in Game 7. His hamstring could be an issue uh, for, the, for the rest of the postseason, but as far as this se- series goes, he was just unstoppable. As he went, the Clippers went. And it's refreshing. As you can tell, I mean, he's always kind of deflected the talk about his postseason success. It's hard to believe that Chris Paul has never been to a conference final, but it's true. He's never been past the second round. And you can kind of sense from him that he really sees this as an opportunity as his best opportunity to get to that milestone, to, to get past the second round. We'll talk about his challenge there in a minute, but what did you think of just the series and, and the the game itself in general?
0: Well, the series I think was the only series really worth watching. Hucks uh, and Nets definitely had its moments, but this was, this was prime time and this was, you know, the only one deserving of a seven game series and it could go if it was a nine game series i'd watch the next two games because these two teams were just going at it they both really wanted it um the the clippers showed me something that i've been pretty critical of the clippers on this podcast they just don't jump out to me they don't excite me they've disappointed in the past but uh there were moments in the Game 7 and definitely in the Game 6 where the Clippers really should have wrapped it up, where the Clippers should have – I'm sorry, the Spurs should have wrapped it up. The Clippers didn't fold in like they like they would have in years past or they didn't blow it like they would have in years past. They rallied back. Chris Paul with that hamstring, I mean, it definitely bothered him, but at the end of the day, like what hamstring injury. He was, he was just – the regular cp3 that we've seen a killer and he finally got his team through blake griffin's another guy that never really lit it up for me never really excited me he had a triple double last night 24 points 13 rebounds 10 assists you got to give credit where credit is due he had made 10 of 11 free throws as well uh he provided all the offense when when cp was down yeah it was just an amazing series and then Tim Duncan turned back the clock, man. Tony Parker was not the same player that he was last year in the series, but Tim Duncan really just carried that team on his back last night, 27 points, 11 rebounds. I mean, he was as phenomenal as we've seen him at that age. It's incredible. What really let the Spurs down, I think, was the bench last night.
1: Yeah, no, certainly. And, and I think it's a shame that the Spurs have to go home early, because I think that the Spurs could definitely give the Golden State Warriors a series. I think they're more worthy of a second-round slot than the Memphis Grizzlies. It's a shame how the seeding came down. We both talked about that, how the Spurs, Clippers, Rockets, and Warriors were, at least what I believe, were a cut above the rest of the Western Conference, and I really wanted those four teams to all be in the second round. It is a shame that the Spurs had to play the Clippers in the first round, but it's still set up for a great series. And think about this, though. If the Clippers make it to the NBA Finals, they would have had to beat the Spurs, the Rockets, and most likely the Warriors because I don't think the Grizzlies are getting past them without Mike Conley. So that's that's kind of a murderer's road there. I don't think anyone's ever going to top that kind of a run just to get there, and then they'll have to beat another team to win the whole title. So, And, and you touched on it earlier, too, about Blake Griffin. I think Blake Griffin has really... Stepped his game up over the last two seasons. I've always been kind of critical of him before. I didn't think a couple years ago he was a top 15 to 20 NBA player. I didn't think he was worthy of that. But he certainly has just become an even bigger beast than he was. He's just, he, you mentioned he had a triple-double. I think his his shot has gotten better. He's just He's just turned into a much stronger player overall. And I think that that's part of the reason the Clippers have become a much more deadlier team uh, this time or this this year. And even last year, I mean, I think that last year they had a good team too, but they play in the West. The West is so tough. Yeah. I kind of have to grade those teams on a curve because losing in the first round for the Spurs isn't the same as a normal first round series. I I wouldn't say the Spurs are weaker than some of these teams in the second round.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely grade them with a the curve. I think, chris paul is playing like a man on fire he might recognize that change might be coming if they fail in the playoffs this year deandre jordan can walk in the offseason. so there's definitely an added motivation and you can tell that chris paul is playing with the edge i mean he's always an edgy player but you can tell that he's playing a little more desperately uh i mean i bet with that hamstring he there was absolutely no way he wasn't gonna play out that that game last night uh, I, the reason I doubt the Clippers is because other than DeAndre Jordan Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, I don't like the rest of the players, but JJ Reddick played almost 42 minutes last night. You got good contributions from him and Matt Barnes, 14 points and 17 points each. That's what they need because you, you need wing players. And that's the one weakness of this Clippers team. They don't have legitimate wing players. If Reddick and Barnes can have a good postseason, Yeah, I think the is the limit for this team. Like you said, they have a really rough road, but with those guys down low and with Chris Paul leading the way, they have a shot, and they definitely showed me something that I've never seen from them before in this series. They definitely have a shot now.
1: Oh, Certainly, and and Jamal Crawford has been awesome too. I think that their bench has really stepped up as well. I think that's a big reason why they were able to beat the Spurs. The Spurs are always known just beyond their big three, their bench, their depth. And that's why that was such a tough series for me to pick because I thought the Cl- I picked the Clippers to win. I went seven and one in the first round. The Portland Trail Blazers let me down, but that was the one that I was not very confident about. Just because both teams, I could see either team winning that series, and, and certainly, like you said, if it went to nine, I could have seen the Spurs winning. Heck, if it ended in five, like I lobbied for on my blog, the Spurs would have advanced. So yep. I'm sure the Spurs agree with the blog I just wrote about shortening the NBA playoffs. <laughs> what's kind of crazy though is that there were four road victories in this series it's home floor meant nothing to these two teams and honestly the spurs it was only a two-point game both teams had their chances down the stretch only a two-point game could have gone either way spurs had a chance to go up seven they couldn't corral a defensive rebound i think paul knocked it away and griffin uh, scooped it up so and, you know, both teams had their chances to win that game. It was just a tremendous series and a tremendous uh, way to end a still-too-long first round. I would have rather the Spurs advanced in five and only had to see five games of every other series than see seven games of this, unfortunately. <laughs> but looking ahead, obviously the Clippers are have another huge challenge on their plate. But who do you like in the second round going series by series? We'll start in the East. Hawks, Wizards, who you got?
0: Um, I was going to make a bold prediction that the Hawks were going to handle the Wizards easily, but we have the benefit of recording this podcast Sunday evening after that game one uh, where the Hawks really blew it and the Wizards came back. I have to go Wizards now. I mean, they, they've now taken home court away from the Hawks. The Wizards just look like a playoff team. The Hawks look like they're just a really good regular season team. So yeah, I'm. I think I'm going Wizards in six.
1: Yep, I, I made all my picks on Facebook before the series had started. Wizards in six. They were my preseason Eastern Conference runner-up. I'm not getting off the bandwagon now. I have not been sold on the Hawks. We debated that earlier in February. Made a very bold prediction about the Hawks and the Warriors. The Warriors half of it isn't coming true, but I think the Hawks are going down. Wizards in six. And after this game one would surprise me if it's Wizards in four, because the Wizards, their last four playoff series, have won game one on the road. In the first round against the Bulls last year, in 2014, three road wins. Last uh, Obviously last round, they took two from Toronto. If Atlanta goes down 0-2, they're getting swept. The Wizards are winning this series. I think they'll do it in six games, though. What about the Cavs Bulls series? Obviously a lot of intrigue there with Kevin Love injured, J.R. Smith down the first two games. You think that that think the Bulls are going to pull it off with the, the Cavs struggling a little bit having two of their starters out for at least the first two games?
0: Well, the matchup got a lot more interesting ever since the poll happened. I'm I'm trying to name it the pull. You got the the shot, the drive, the decision, and now you got the pull.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. And of course, the '97 World Series, the save or whatever, whatever you want to call that, that's still the one that stings me the the worst.
0: Yeah, you also have the fumble, I think. But anyway, um, yeah, ever since Kevin Arm's Kevin Love's arm got ripped off, um, this matchup got a lot more interesting. I think the Bulls are going to be a little bit more feisty. I'm not too worried about it. I think that LeBron. Was using that Celtic series to get the rest of the team's toes wet and playoff basketball But if if the Cavs need LeBron to be the best player in the world He's gonna be the best player in the world in this series and just start carrying the team The Bulls are gonna win some games. I think if they had love and Smith healthy I think they could have swept the Bulls or maybe taken them in five I think it's gonna to go to six now the Bulls are definitely gonna win one at home at least And those first two games are questionable without JR Smith, but he's easily replaceable with the likes of uh, Iman Shumpert. And then you can also start Sean Marion and Mike Miller to be backups. So he's not as, um, he's a little bit more expendable than Kevin Love. They're definitely going to miss Kevin Love's spacing, but fortunately, they got a guy in Tristan Thompson who's a really good power forward. I'm not too worried. It's going to be a feisty matchup because the Bulls hate Cleveland, they hate LeBron. Uh, it, it's going to be a good matchup, but Cavs and six.
1: Yeah, this is the fourth time in the last six years the Bulls have faced a LeBron James-led team in the postseason, and each of the last three times LeBron has sent them home. So there's no love between the Bulls and LeBron James, especially Kim Noah, I think the the Cavs are going to win in five games. I am not scared of the Bulls. They struggled with the Bucks. They didn't look impressive. They go in offensive lulls. Derrick Rose is not the same, even though he's shown flashes. They are not going to get two days rest until after game four. That is huge. If they don't win game one, they are sunk. Because Derrick Rose was rejuvenated in that Milwaukee game six because he had two days rest. But after that, it's going to be every other day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. It's going to be tough for the Bulls to, I think, go 2-2 unless they win game one. So I think game one is huge. If the Cavs win game one without J.R. Smith, not happening. They're going to win in five But if the Bulls can take Game 1, I agree with you. It'll be a series. I still think the Cavs would win it, but it would make me a little nervous. Look, the Bulls have been the same team the last five years. They're a little different now with the emergence of Jimmy Butler. But until I see them knock off the king that has tormented them the last five years, I'm not going to believe it. Because like you said, LeBron James is going to step up in this series. I think this is when he turns the on switch all the way up, and revs it up, and puts the team on his back, and Kyrie Irving is a better number two option than he's ever played with before. Dwayne Wade, all due respect to him, the last four years has not been the same as he was in 2006 and 7. in that. Kyrie Irving is entering his prime. He is legit. He's taken huge steps forward. I think those two are going to be big, and I also think James Jones is going to see more minutes over... Um, over Marion and Mike Miller, though those two might see a spell here and there.
0: Well, I think those two I guys do, are are shooting guard backups. James Jones is definitely a lot of minutes playing a stretch four role.
1: Right, but uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they rotate guys in and out. I, I really, I, I would, I, I'm curious to see who they start in this series. I'm curious to see how much time LeBron's going to play at power forward. The matchups get really intriguing without Kevin Love there. So it's going to be an interesting one, but I think the Cavs are going to win in five games.
0: Yeah, and Derrick Rose doesn't have the luxury of playing against Michael Carter Williams anymore. It's Kyrie Irving on the other side who's going to make him work every second of the game. I mean, the guy is just a, a, a dribbling wizard. It's it's not going to be the same slow-paced luxury of playing against the Bucks. Like The Cavs have some legitimate offensive firepower.
1: All righty, heading west, Warriors-Grizzlies, obviously a very different series without Mike Conley. No real official word on when he's going to be back, but who do you like in this series?
0: Without Mike Conley, I don't think the Grizzlies stand much of a chance. They needed the the perimeter defense combination of Tony Allen and Mike Conley. That's probably the best defensive backcourt in all of basketball. But without Mike Conley handling Steph Curry, you have to pick your poison between Thompson or Curry which one do you want to put Tony Allen on? They're sound down low, obviously. Zach Randolph and Marcus can can handle anybody, but without that perimeter defense of duo, the Grizzlies don't stand a chance. I think Grizzlies are gonna lose in five.
1: I agree with you. Warriors in five. I think the Grizzlies maybe get one at home. It's a shame that Conley got hurt. That would have been such a phenomenal backcourt matchup, offense, defense, seeing Allen and Conley on uh, the Splash brothers. I would have loved it. I think it would have gone seven if both of them were healthy, if Conley was healthy. But I think Warriors and five, they can't. Without without their, and, and it's not just what he brings defensively. Conley is, as you've mentioned time and time again on this podcast, one of the most underrated point guards in the NBA. He's their leader on offense. He's one guy who can really just just make everything go. Without him, they have no chance. Warriors and five. I think that's the easiest of all these series to predict. Um, and now we go to the toughest one, the heavyweight. Another great series involving the clippers clippers rockets who are you going with
0: i'm gonna pick rockets in seven i'm a clipper hater man i just don't even though i said that they proved something to me in the last series i i still think there are other better teams i think the rockets harden and howard is a better combination of than a Hovel, chris paul and blake griffin uh, yeah, Rockets and Seven, I think they just have too much star power, too much offense for the Clippers to really handle.
1: If the Rockets, Clippers, and Warriors were in the East, they'd be the number one team. Unfortunately, they're in the West. Clippers were my preseason pick to win the West, but this is why I hate preseason predictions. The Rockets have made some very shrewd moves and added depth. I think they're the deepest team left in the tournament. I think they're the team that's the most scariest in this tournament. I think them versus the Warriors in the conference final is going to be epic. I think Chris Paul's hamstring is going to be interesting. I hope he's not seriously hurt, because if he doesn't play, this is going to be a very quick series. If he doesn't play the first two games, it's not that big a deal, because they wouldn't have lost home court in Houston. But if he's not back by Game 3, I don't know. I mean, they're they're keeping it tight-lipped. They're saying maybe not for Game 1. Who knows? But if he's not 100%, the Clippers have no chance. I think he will play by Game 2 or 3. I think it will be a 7-game series. But it'll be interesting to see how how healthy Paul is. I just think the Rockets are too deep of a team for the Clippers to handle. It is kind of a shame. But unfortunately in the West, someone's got to go home early. I think the Rockets move on, but it'll be a 7-game series.
0: Yeah, like you said, that's definitely the one to watch, the most interesting one. Uh, Yeah, that's going to be fun. Definitely going to be fun to watch. Two very chippy teams as well. A lot of divas out there on the court.
1: And we mentioned early in the podcast, we had a lot to talk about on this epic sports weekend. We did a lot of basketball there, but I told you what I liked the most this weekend. So, Bob, what was your favorite event of the weekend, obviously other than the NBA
0: yeah, uh this might be a little embarrassing cuz it's the only one that wasn't a sporting event, but I'm just fascinated and captivated by the NFL draft. I love it. I followed all 3 days of it. The only knock I have is that first round is 3 hours long on ESPN. The first night is way too long. I mean, I was falling asleep by the end, but I uh, I was I was following the tweets. I was following it online, watching as much of it as I can. I'm I I just love it. And I think the first round was boring because a lot of people were predicting these crazy trades and there really no there's only one first round trade that happened and it wasn't even that exciting but the second day there was people were wheeling and dealing and a lot of guys dropped this year so i i was totally fascinated by it uh we got our we we did a mock top five in our last podcast and we did Pretty. Well. I mean, all five of our guys that we mentioned were the top five picks. The teams got mixed around a little bit, but we did pretty well.
1: Yeah, we did. For me, you'd have to stretch it to six because I actually had Mariota going to the Jets. But I, I I got the six guys right. I just didn't get them in the right order. You got the five guys. We each got the top six right because I think whoever you left out of your top five, you had going six and, and me as well. So the, the top six guys we all had, but we didn't have them in the right order. I can't fault the Titans for taking Mariota. They had the number two pick. Everyone wanted to trade up for Mariota, or some people were trying to. And the Titans obviously needed a quarterback. So I can't fault them for taking the number two quarterback and a guy who could be a franchise quarterback who has that potential and a pretty high character guy at number two. Jameis Winston going number one was just obvious. We both called it right off the bat. The shocker for me was Leonard Williams falling to the Jets. I I thought he'd be a top five pick. I didn't think he would fall outside of the top five. That could be a, even at number six overall, that could be the steal of the draft.
0: Yeah. Well, the Jets were probably just like, are you kidding me? Leonard Williams is here at six. I mean, he is the consensus best player in the draft, but the Jets have selected four defensive linemen in the first round in the last five years. And, they just they had to pick leonard williams because he's the best player on the board i mean how can you not pick a guy like that but that's a lot of investment in the defensive line when you don't have a quarterback you don't have a good run game your o-line is getting a little soft but you gotta take leonard williams i mean they're just in a serious catch 22 the titans man they that gm i don't know his name but that combination of gm and ken wisenhut they are hanging their hat on this draft they take Mariota in the first round and then Doriel Green-Beckham in the second round. I mean, talk about boomer bust with both of those guys. If it works out, that's a great combination. Mariota, athletic, could be a great leader. Dorial Green-Beckham, probably physically the best wide receiver in the draft at 6'6", but he's got tons of issues, tons of question marks. If that works out, they're going to look like geniuses. If it doesn't, it's going to get a lot of people fired in, in Nashville.
1: Oh certainly and what was funny was after Dorrell Green Beckham was picked Josh Gordon tweeted out nice pick I so it's it kind of funny that delete your twitter Green Josh Beckham, Gordon <laughs> <laughs> yeah I no, the Dorrell Green Beckham who is kind of uh, has the kind of same the same rap that Josh Gordon had coming out of college uh, gets the gets the nod from Josh Gordon after that pick but I agree it's definitely a boomer bust draft for the Tennessee Titans. Me, I was covering the Browns draft for the local newspaper I freelance for the Elyria Chronicle Telegram. So thanks to them for uh, letting me cover the NFL draft. So I was kind of engulfed in the Browns. I, I wasn't able to follow a lot of what else was going on because once those guys get picked, it's just uh, go, go, go. You got to transcribe and write pretty quickly, especially on those first two nights. But me, I mean, we both called Danny Shelton. We wanted Danny Shelton at 12. We didn't want them to trade, and the Browns didn't do any of that. And They did what we begged them to do, address the run defense. And Danny Shelton is a monster. I-, I love the pick for the Browns at number 12.
0: Yeah, definitely. Nose tackle, best nose tackle on the board, 32nd-ranked run defense for the last decade. Uh, you got you to gotta pick him. And we also called offensive linemen at 19, and that's exactly what they did. Cameron Irving was a little surprising at first, but when you consider that Alex Mack has a walk clause, he's got a broken leg right now, and he really doesn't like being in Cleveland, it's a really smart pick. And Cameron Irving is, was the most versatile offensive lineman in the draft. He could literally play all five positions. A lot of guys can switch from tackle to guard, but not everyone can go from tackle guard to center. So I, I really like the pick. He can address any any of the needs on the right side of the line, and he can slide right into center if Matt gets hurt or if he walks at the end of the year.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, you, said, you took the words right out of my mouth, and here's a little trivia bomb for you. Cameron Irving was a first-team All-ACC left tackle last year. He was also a third-team All-ACC center last year. When have you ever heard that before, someone getting multiple All-Conference honors At two different positions in football
0: yeah very interesting and uh it wasn't something that i ever considered for the browns but as i think about it more the the more and more i like it it's a really good pick it's so funny i think the theme of this year's draft not just for the browns but for everybody was good guys win uh other than Jameis winston who you just have to take because he's a quarterback if you had any kind of character issue you were bumped down Even guys like Devontae Parker, they thought he didn't love the game of of football. You got Randy Gregory, DGB, uh, Shane Ray with his marijuana arrest, Uh, Lael Collins, I mean, he's going to investigate for murder. He was supposed to be a first-round pick. He didn't even get drafted. I mean, if you had any kind of red flag post-2014 NFL, you you were falling, and you were falling fast in this draft. And compound that for the Browns, who took Johnny Manziel, Justin Gilbert last year, both guys who have serious character issues. Josh Gordon has serious character issues. They went meat and potatoes. They took Boy Scouts. I think four of their picks in the later rounds were team captains.
1: They Yeah, I don't know about that stat off the top of my head, but I'm pretty I sure certainly...
0: I'm pretty sure they took four team captains and just any every single guy that they took was a high character guy, the exact opposite of the draft they did last year.
1: Oh yeah, certainly. I like I like. There isn't a pick. There aren't many picks that I don't like on the Browns. I think they addressed a lot of needs. Uh, the the wide receiver they took from Washington State has the size to be a pro wide receiver. His hands are concerning. Uh, he dropped a lot of passes. I think it was nineteen. He led the uh, FBS in drops last year. So obviously we've. Uh, watched Greg Little and uh, Devon Bess a lot so yeah. we hope that those hands uh, don't translate to the NFL we hope he can work on that a little <laughs> well, bit
0: well, sup- but supposedly he was thrown to more than anybody or anyone else though as well like he had tons of targets
1: right well, he did but i th- but but the drop rate still he led the league he led FBS fps and drop but his drop rate was still pretty bad OK, it was, they, they, pro football focus described it as bad, but not terrible, given how many targets he had. Yeah, it still wasn't good.
0: Well, in defense of that pick, though, 14 wide receivers were taken in the first three rounds. And in the fourth round, you're able to get a guy like him at six to, I think, 220 with high level of production and good athletic s- skill sets. I mean, that kind of fuels my philosophy on wide receivers. And I, I applaud Farmer and Patton for standing Pat and kind of backing me up on this philosophy of, okay, everyone else can just trip over themselves trying to get the next Calvin Johnson. I'm going to get a guy who could be just as talented as all those other guys later in, later in the draft.
1: Certainly. What do you think of the Browns not drafting even a developmental quarterback? Do you think they should have addressed that at some point?
0: Um, I would have been okay with it. But at the same time, this is the bed you made. You traded up in the first round to get Johnny Manziel last year. You have to stay committed to that, at least in the year two. So I respect it. I mean, it's a total vote of confidence on Johnny Manziel that you are the quarterback of the future for the Cleveland Browns in 2015. It might not be that way. You might not even get a chance to start. But as of right now, as that roster stands, johnny football is the future at quarterback and so yeah I'm, I'm for it if they have that confidence in him they got him another pa- pass protector they got him a big target uh i i'm all about it
1: yeah they didn't just get him a, another big target they did sign uh, dwayne bow and brian hartline in the offseason who are two other big targets as well so they brought in some veteran presence at wide receiver they returned hawkins and gabriel so this guy the the vince Mayelli, and i Probably said his name wrong. I I struggled with it. But fourth-round pick, 123rd pick overall. I mean, yeah, he's not going to be asked to do too much behind those veterans. I, I do think that they will want him to break into the depth chart at some point. But he does have a little bit of a learning curve. For me, it is a vote of confidence. But if Johnny Manziel can't beat out Josh McCown in training camp, That's going to be a red flag for me. Because Josh McCown is a journeyman. Josh McCown is not your answer. If Johnny Manziel can't beat him out in training camp, I worry about his long-term prospects. Because if you are a legit franchise quarterback, you should be able to outplay Josh McCown in training camp. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mentioned Brett Hundley who ultimately was drafted by Green Bay in the fifth round. I believe it was pick 147, which, oddly enough, used to be Cleveland's pick. They sent that pick to New England when they moved up to take Xavier Cooper. And when they made that trade, I thought they were trading up to get Hundley. That could be the steal of the draft, too. I liked Hundley. I thought he was the third-best quarterback on the board. I wanted the Browns to take him. I wouldn't have been mad if they took him at 96 instead of Xavier Cooper. So... I think if they had done that, it would have been the perfect draft for me because I really wanted them to take Hundley. I thought that he was a steal after the second round. I think he has all the tools to make it in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with the Packers. I'm going to kick myself if four years from now Aaron Rodgers steps away from the game and Hundley becomes their next lineage quarterback. But that's going to be a long way. I actually don't think Hundley's going to start for the Packers.
0: You can't make the compare. I mean, he's going to Green Bay. You can't make the what-if statement in four years if he stays behind Aaron Rodgers for four years and then turns out to be a pretty good quarterback. I mean, yeah, he has all the tools to succeed, but now he's giving a ton of room to grow. If If he came to Cleveland, the spectacle against him versus Manziel with the spotlight already on Cleveland because they're kind of a train wreck right now, I mean, it would be a totally different set of circumstances. So I, I get what you're saying. I think he is talented and, and we'll definitely we'll add him to the list of guys we passed up. But at the same time, he's now on the track of development.
1: No, I agree with you 100%. If, if he comes to Cleveland, it's a completely different scenario and you can't compare it. But it's just going to irk me if he turns out to be an NFL starter. I don't think he'll ever start for Green Bay because I think Aaron Rodgers has five or six years left, more than his rookie contract. But If he develops in Green Bay, he could get a starting job somewhere else. It'll be interesting to see how that situation plays out. The other sleeper running back I highlighted wound up on the Browns at the 77th pick of the draft, Duke Johnson. I love this guy. I saw him play twice when he was with Miami. I thought, man, this guy has everything that I would want out of a running back. He's quick. He can catch I think he's going to be a really good pick for the cleveland browns especially behind what hopefully is a revamped offensive line with irving joining mac if max healthy and that that should be a, a pick cleveland should be excited about
0: yeah definitely he fits in as the third down back a pass catcher because you already have the two power backs in Weston and, and cowell and then he can also he, he has such good hands you can kind of put him in motion out into the slot position and kind of cause some some confusion on def- on offense so yeah I, re- I really like that pick he, he's he's a good addition brings a tool set that wasn't on the team so I, I really like that
1: were there any picks in the draft that just were head scratchers for you not not just oh, yeah. talking about Cleveland but anyone else who, who do you got as the sort of the what were you thinking addition of what are you talking about
0: man my absolute what are you thinking the indianapolis colts philip dorsett from miami in the first round you picked a wide receiver what what got you bumped in the playoffs the last two years your run defense malcolm brown was on the board why didn't you take him why didn't you take anybody on the on the defensive side of the ball why didn't you take an offensive lineman to protect your andrew luck i mean the colts this is going to be serious hyperbole, but the Colts have gotten two picks right and it's when two generational quarterbacks were on the board, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. Now, I know they take, they've taken Dwight Freeney and Reggie Wayne and and, Edger and James as well, but like they don't draft well in the first round. They traded a first-round pick for Trent Richardson for crying out loud. Of all the the Andrew Luck can throw the ball and he can throw it really well without this dude why, why would you pick him in the first round? It to, total head-scratcher to me.
1: Speaking of which, Malcolm Brown went to the Patriots, so it's always good when the Patriots like something in you. And he could start for them because they got rid of Wilfork. Wilfork will be in Houston next year. So... Yeah, I agree. I mean, why did they address their offense in the first round? I mean, it's not just the defense that got them bounced. They can't run the ball at all, which means they probably have a bit of a problem on the offensive line blocking for the running game. Because my philosophy is, if you want to improve your running game, sure, you need runners. You can find guys like Duke Johnson late. Draft offensive linemen early. Yeah, Cleveland Browns drafted Bentonio last year. Their run game was great until Alex Mack got hurt. So you want a good running attack beef up that offensive line. The Colts should have definitely gone either defensive tackle or offensive lineman beefed up the trenches to try to get them over that hump because now the Patriots are just going to be like, okay, we're going to see you again and run for another 250 yards with five different running backs and bounce you from the playoffs once again.
0: Yeah, definitely. Let me do some quick hits of of things I liked and didn't like, because I love the draft. Like I said, and there are things I want to talk about Uh, Todd Gurley I love him but he went to probably one of the worst situations he could have with the St. Louis Rams they have a terrible offensive line lots of questions on that offense in general it's really hard to run the ball in the NFL without a good O-line so I feel bad for him I think the Eagles are another loser Uh, they drafted Nelson Aguilar I'm sorry I probably butchered that name from USC who's a wide receiver that was rising up the boards but you let Jeremy Macklin go, you let Deshaun Jackson go, and you're replacing him with this guy. I don't know if he can fill the shoes of either of those guys. And then on top of that, you offered two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and three of your best defensive players for Marcus Mariota, and they said no. I mean, that that's just mind-blowing that they offered that and the Titans said no. I know it's alleged and Chip Kelly denies it, but that seems like a pretty concrete offer very questionable that like you would even offer that. That's a franchise-killing move. <laughs> so uh, that was a huge head scratcher. Like that, that offer was on the table. And then two winners: uh, Steelers taking Bud Dupree late in the first round, outside linebacker who can play defensive end as well. Uh, Steelers and linebackers—a scary, scary combination. Even though they've missed on Jarvis Jones and. Ryan Shazier, is. you're not sure what you're getting with him. Both of those guys were taking the last two first-round drafts. And then I also like Shane Ray to the Broncos. I mean, he was also a top-10 talent that fell to 23 because of his arrest, because of his toe injury. But Shane Ray, Demarcus Ware, and Von Miller, all rushing the passer at the same time. That's really scary. So they definitely got better, and and dudes fell like we talked about. My, my final loser the Dallas Cowboys pick, picking Byron Jones late I didn't like that pick but then taking Randy Gregory when you already have Greg Hardy on the team I don't think that that's a good combination at that position two really bad character guys playing together that's not a good sign and I, I just didn't like it it didn't sit well with me
1: all very good, all very good. The only thing I'll say about Pittsburgh is Ryan Shazier, I think, had a solid rookie year, but he was hampered a little bit by injuries. If he can stay healthy, he'll he'll contribute on that team. But yeah, other than that, hey, the the only other thing I'll take away from the draft, Ohio State. They won the national title and didn't have a player drafted in the first round this year, which means they are loaded for next season. It's going to be crazy.
0: Yeah, most of the talent is still on the team, so you're definitely right about that.
1: Their highest pick was Devin Smith to the New York Jets at 37.
0: Yeah, they're coming back. They're going to be good. So
1: Obviously, it wasn't just about football and basketball this weekend. There were a couple of sports who don't always get in the limelight. Well, at least they don't every time, but horse racing kind of – comes around this time this is the six week season for horse racing, kissing and then of course we had the epic fight mayweather pacquiao of those two bob which one did you make time for or follow or watch
0: well to be honest with you i didn't make a whole lot of time for either but of the two mayweather pacquiao fascinated me more and i did follow it and stream it as best i could i wasn't going to pay a hundred dollar ticket to watch a boxing fight something that i really have not a lot of knowledge about, but yeah, I was definitely more interested in Mayweather Pacquiao. I mean, this is a fight that's been brewing for over six years now. I know you have some, some numbers to drop, but just like a huge ticket, tons of money on the line. Mayweather entered the fight 47 and Oh Pacquiao had, had a great record. I wonder though, this fascination of this fight, now that it finally happened and the, the, the reaction was that, yeah, Mayweather won by decision but the reaction that I got from just about everybody was it was a boring fight and it wasn't that fun. I think boxing and I know you you were going to bring this up as well, but where do you go from, where do you go from here in the realm of boxing? What is next? And I think they have some serious questions. Is it always good to give the fans exactly what they want or do you always want them to keep wanting the the ultimate matchup and so i have some serious questions about the future of boxing post mayweather pacquiao
1: well to answer your question it's always a good idea to give the fans super fights like this the problem is this fight a should have happened at least three years ago probably Absolutely. five years ago yes because they're past their prime i mean well you can't say mayweather's past his prime he's 48 no pacquiao certainly is past his prime he got knocked down in a fight not too long ago definitely not the same. I think if this were five years ago, it would have been a much better fight. I didn't watch it either because, like you, I didn't want to pay for it. But I followed it, and I saw the highlights, and the highlights were boring. I mean, everyone wants to see a knockout in boxing, and I get that. But I also think that the boxing purists have a, have a point. I mean, it. it Anyone who tuned into that fight expecting to see a knockout was delusional. I mean, look at Mayweather's history. He doesn't knock people out. He's a defensive fighter. He wins because he wears you down, he lands more punches, and doesn't get hit. That's what boxing's all about. Yeah. But running down those numbers you alluded to earlier, $400 million, that's how much the fight netted. Mayweather taking home a check for $180 Pacquiao Pacquiao's going to get about $120 million. After the fight, well, first off, Pacquiao missed on 81% of his punches. I'm sorry. If you can't land more than 19% yeah. of your punches, you, can't touch you don't deserve to win. No. Sorry. And here's the big one. Afterwards, uh, Pacquiao started saying that his shoulder was hurt. And I kind of knew this was going to happen. It's kind of like with tennis. Every time there's a big final, the person that doesn't win the final says that there was a little bit of an injury. It happens a lot in these kind of individual sports. It kind of irked me, and I I was happy to see Bernard Hopkins on the breakdown of it say, this, no way. The way Pacquiao punched, he wouldn't have punched like that if it were a serious injury. The way he was flailing and missing, extending his arm so far. He said if anything, if his shoulder was that bad, he would have like favored it a little bit more. He wouldn't have punched the way he did. So I was glad that a uh, longtime great boxer kind of called him out on it. And Mayweather said in his postgame, hey, I was hurt too. I had two bad shoulders and two bad hands, but I found a way to win. So at the end of the day, Pacquiao, according to one all-time boxer, l- looked good enough, and it was good enough to fight. It sounds like sour grapes to me. But to answer your question about the future of boxing, it's murky. Because my our dad always says, when he was young, he could name the heavyweight champion. Now I can't. I have no idea who the heavyweight champion is. I mean, the heavyweight champion used to be a really, really big deal. Now, it's not. this was not a heavyweight bout, by the way. So, these are the two biggest names in boxing, by far. And they've fought. And you're not going to get a rematch. Mayweather is probably going to go for 50-0. He's probably going to select opponents who i'm not going to accuse him of it but a lot of people have i mean he has a lot of control over that stuff yeah. i don't think he's going to fight another fight that's really going to challenge him i think he's going to get to that 50 and he has his final big time bout and people who accuse him of not fighting anyone i mean he fought oscar de la Hoya, he fought miguel cotto he's fought a lot of guys and you don't go 48 0 by accident yeah, He's, uh, I said Miguel Cotto. I meant Saul Alvarez. That was his big contender because Alvarez, I believe, was undefeated at the time, at least unlost. He had, I believe, one draw. But the point I'm making here is Mayweather's legacy is cemented now. He beat Manny Pacquiao. He's 48-0. He's gonna fight two more times, get two easy paychecks, get to 50-0, and ride off into the sunset. Pacquiao, he'll still fight, but his star has fallen. This was his big moment i think he's gonna be riding off in the sunset too someone tweeted out after this fight if this was the fight of the century boxing is going to stink for the next 85 years and i agree with that tweet because when these two guys go i think this was boxing's swan song i really do i don't think that boxing will ever be the spectacle it once was you already see it now i don't see anyone in the pipeline who can generate the kind of interest these two do and I think that fan interest is at really an all-time low I don't think other than the niche boxing fanatics the sport is going to cater to the mass public like it did back in the day of Muhammad Ali and those other great heavyweights those other great fighters that used to really gel up a lot of interest in fights and whatnot now I think this was the last great boxing match I, I just don't see a future for the sport
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, just in terms of age, Mayweather's 38, Pacquiao's 36. Pacquiao's a member of Congress in the Philippines. Like he has, he's doing other stuff. And Mayweather is rich beyond all your wildest dreams. He's doing other stuff too. When a huge event like this happens in a sporting event, as soon as it happens, your eyes turn to the next thing. Say Barry Bonds breaks the home run record, then he retires. All eyes on Alex Rodriguez. Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? All eyes are still on Tiger Woods to get the the Grand Slam records. Is he going to break that record? But what happens when he when he surpasses it and retires, eyes will probably shift to Rory McIlroy. Manny Pacquiao got defeated by Floyd Mayweather. Nothing. There's nobody out there. N- there's not a big fight to, to see. There's nothing... There's nothing in boxing that that's after this, unless you're going to do a rematch, which would be stupid. But
1: Yeah, well, if Floyd had lost, there probably would have been a rematch. He won. He's not fighting him again. I'm sorry. He, he gave Pacquiao a shot. He's not going to risk that record twice. Like I said, he's 38 years old. He's going to fight two more guys, get easy paychecks, get to 50-0 and 0 and retire with that. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's nothing in the pipeline for boxing. I couldn't name you the next big thing in boxing i have no idea who it is maybe some boxing fanatics do but i think by and large nobody can really tell you i don't even think that guys who are sports writers can really tell you maybe not boxing sports writers i'm just talking sports writers in general because they're pretty knowledgeable about all sports i don't think anyone can tell you what's next for boxing who's the next guy there's no one out there and I honestly think there's more intrigue about UFC and ultimate fighting and that's kind of fighting more so than boxing. I think those yep. that sport has more stars than boxing does. I think this was the last great fight. I, th- I honestly think that boxing has reached the end of its road, at least as far as being a sport that is relevant to the masses.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So did, what about the Kentucky Derby? Did you watch that?
1: Yeah, talk about another old-school sport that has uh, lost its relevance over time. I did watch it, and it was very exciting. It was a uh, uh, an exciting finish. American Feral won in a close photo finish, as they say. Fire and lane placed, and Dortmund showed. That's second and third for you non horse racing fans <laughs> out there. Dortmund really kind of blew it. He had the lead for a long time. Everyone, because we were watching at the, at the draft, uh, Brown's headquarters, so everyone in the sports uh you know, on, on, the, on the sports desk, was uh, watching it. And Dortmund had the lead for a while. One guy even commented, man, Dortmund's looking strong. But then American Pharoah and firing lane came out of nowhere. It was a three-horse finish. Pharoah pulled away. Uh, the, the trainer, Victor Espinoza, won, won the derby for the second straight year. Bob Baffert, the trainer, got his fourth derby win. It was a great finish, very exciting. But here's my problem with horse racing. If American Pharoah doesn't win the Preakness, no one's going to care about the Belmont. <laughs> And the, the intrigue with horse racing, obviously, is can another horse win the Triple Crown? And that's kind of like boxing's sort of carrot that they keep dangling in front of the fans to keep people interested. And if horse racing's smart, they'll be cheering for no one to ever do it to keep the intrigue alive because I think there's far more intrigue in the Belmont when a horse comes in with two of the legs of the Triple Crown under its belt than there is without one. And as long as they kind of have that carrot to dangle out in front of people, horse racing will stay relevant to the masses. But once a horse does it, it'll be the same question, what's next? And yeah, I mean, obviously there'll still be intrigue on the niche level. There'll still be intrigue every year, whether or not someone wins a triple crown. But I think the next horse to do it is going to be a little bit bigger than everyone else. So if American Pharaoh doesn't win the Preakness, the interest is going to really die out for the Belmont. So everyone who has a stake in the Belmont financially is certainly cheering for American Pharoah to win the Preakness.
0: Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It's all about the Triple Crown race. Um, I don't know if, if I agree with you and nobody cares about this. 170,000 people were there live to watch the Kentucky Derby. That's a huge—I didn't know that many people came out. I mean, that's on par with, with with the event.
1: I do think the first race, the Kentucky Derby, is a big event down there I'm not I'm not saying horse racing is the same I think I misspoke a little bit it's not in boxing situation I think horse racing will always stay relevant because it has enough of the niche following to keep it relevant I think the Kentucky Derby is always going to be a big event because it's the first one it's a
0: it's also a social event as well
1: Right. I, I, I don't think that that's going to go away. And I certainly don't think if someone wins the Triple Crown that that's going to go away. Because horse racing, is, it, you're, like you said, it's, it's like one big giant party down in the South. Everyone just comes out, wears ridiculous suits, and all the stars are there. It's a fun time. So I don't think, that's going, I don't think it's going to die if someone wins the Triple Crown. But I do think that there's more intrigue in it by people who aren't necessarily into horse racing because of the allure of the triple crown drought
0: yeah no I I agree with you you said everybody's there do you think Wes Welker was there
1: (laughs) I I don't know I think that's what got him in trouble last year it was (laughs) I saw Gronk there though who was there Gronk I saw Gronk there
0: yeah the whole the Pats all the white guys on the Pats offense were rolling together (laughs) this weekend (laughs) no they were brady gronk Amendola, and edelman they did the derby and then they flew to manny pacquiao versus madeweather the next night
1: were they able to find parking for their private jet did you see the photo of that the airliner with all the private jets jammed up on the runway
0: yeah yeah brady took a helicopter like straight to the event last year i don't know if you saw that no i didn't yeah he like Landed like right outside the field and came out in like this sweet suit and was like, hey, I'm here And then wes welkers doing doing molly in the stands or whatever
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that probably got him into that probably was why it was suspended I think it was why it was suspended. I don't know if it happened at the kentucky derby, but It's a pretty safe bet that it did. Yeah,
0: allegedly that's the kentucky derby is why because there's a video of him doing some stuff
1: and he's just handing out money. I think he won big on his horse, he was just handing out money to fans. I mean, how cool would that be if you're just standing there West and Wes Wilker hands you like two hundred dollar bills. It would be pretty sweet.
0: Yeah. That would be pretty sweet.
1: But, but yeah, yeah, I definitely don't think horse racing is in the same state as boxing. I'm sorry if it came off that I that I was comparing to no, like yeah. that. But I, I get the comparison. I do think Right, but the, the, the triple crown allure, it's all about that from here on in after the Kentucky Derby. If American Pharaoh doesn't win the preakness there won't be as much intrigue in the Belmont.
0: Yeah, definitely. Did you bet on either of those? It's a huge betting day.
1: No, I did not. I I don't bet on things I don't know. I'm sorry. I mean, that's my number one rule in betting. If I don't know it, I I don't even touch it. I don't like to bet on sports to begin with because they're super unpredictable. I mean, the biggest bet I'd ever do is like just a $5 buddy bet with someone or something like that. But I don't bet on sports because they're just too unpredictable and i know very little about boxing and horse racing though if i did bet i would have bet mayweather because i thought he was going to be peck yeah
0: yeah i put some money down i got a nice 20 dollar bill coming my way because i bet on mayweather
1: <laughs> awesome <laughs> that's awesome
0: you better pay up you know who you are
1: <laughs> better watch out man but man, we covered a ton of ground, and you want to know what's funny? We only scratched the tip of the iceberg on this sporting weekend. Let's just go through some quick, quick hits here. NHL, Rangers Capitals. I wasn't able to watch this because as I said before, I was uh you know in the Browns covering the draft. But Ovechkin had an insane goal. It was number one on SportsCenter's top ten. It wasn't enough. The Rangers won three to two, and that series is tied one to one. But playoff hockey is awesome. And intense and fun. I'm going to have to start watching a little bit more of it down the stretch here. That game was sweet. Did you see Ovechkin's goal at all? Did you see the highlight of it?
0: Yeah, I saw the goal. It was awesome. I think NHL playoff hockey is great uh, for watching the highlights. And I'm sorry if I'm offending hockey fans, but I love watching the highlights. I don't really enjoy still, even if it's in the playoffs, watching a full game.
1: I used to when it was like before the first lockout, I used to watch it a lot in high school. You probably remember me being I used to watch a lot of sports. Yeah. When I had the time. Now with this whole thing called work and stuff, it's harder for me to watch a ton of sports, <laughs> but I do get into the NHL playoffs a little bit. Probably I'll probably watch some of the Stanley Cup games, but for me the NBA trumps the NHL. I like basketball a little bit more. It's just my personal preference, not to hate on hockey, but they conflict almost every night, so I usually go with the NBA. Other big one, Cleveland fans probably love the Masterson-Sabathia duel on Friday night for the Yankees-Red Sox. How often are the Yankees-Red Sox the sixth biggest event over the weekend? But New York took two of those games, and they'll have Sunday night baseball to see if Boston can pull one. How would you feel seeing Masterson versus Sabathia and Yankees-Red Sox? It
0: was a little bizarre, but that's... Th- Also, you're kind of used to it as a Cleveland fan seeing your best former best pitchers play for a big market team. So it was cool. I, I try to protest Yankees Red Sox as much as I can. It gets way too much national (laughs) coverage. So I, I don't really like to watch it, especially in May.
1: Me too. It's an excellent rivalry, but for me, it's more meaningful in September than it. anything about baseball. is more meaningful in September. It gets way too much hype in April and May. and then. I'm not knocking the rivalry. It's a legit rivalry, probably the best in baseball. But it's better when it's in September or even better when it's in October. And I'm kind of glad it got buried this weekend just because, you know, there was a lot of other great stuff going on and it's a regular season game. But as you alluded to earlier, you're a big soccer guy. Chelsea won the Premier League. Uh, you you can talk about that a little bit more cuz I bet you yeah, cuz you kind of follow soccer a little closer than I do.
0: Oh, well, I haven't been able to follow it as much as I like to, but I know they had a relatively easy game today. Uh and they won it in a really chippy way just 1-0, but it's a big deal their first champ or Premier League title since 2010. Chelsea's one of those Massive spenders, so I'm sure that lots of people are happy that they're keeping their jobs in the off season uh, with with a win. But yeah, it was just another another facet of this weekend. Uh, soccer is is in full swing as well.
1: I'm going to leave you with a little trivia, Bob. So I want you to tell me who the best team in the American League is right now.
0: <laughs> well, um, it's funny because I. You know, I'm sitting at my computer, so I have the standings up right now. and I, I I wouldn't have been able to tell you, but I do know who that is. But who is it?
1: 18-7, and seven, Houston Astros, baby. Awesome. I'm going to brag about that pick because it's the only preseason baseball pick that's working out for me right now. I had them making the playoffs. I hope my fortune switches and all the other ones get in, but... I'm going to brag about that one right now while I can. 18-7, and 7, Houston Astros. Shout out to them. Developing earlier than a lot of people picked, but I had faith in them. Hopefully they keep it up and get that wild card spot or make the playoffs. I like them. I obviously like the Indians more than them, but yep. uh, we don't want to talk about them right now.
0: Well, to give you hope and to bring your hopes down, it's a long season, so a lot of things can change. The Indians can get better. The Astros can revert back to being their usual selves, so... It's a good it's a good start, but long season.
1: I will trade the Astros reverting for every one of my other picks panning out, especially <laughs> my World Series pick, and we will not talk about that. We're gonna focus on the positive right now. Yeah. The Houston Astros are eighteen and seven, and I had faith in them. So good job, Houston. Yeah. For making me look smart for one month. Yeah. Five hey, more to go.
0: How about this little trivia nugget? Do you what the what how much is adrian amos worth to you the free safety from penn state i have no idea well the bears took him in the fifth round with the sixth pick in the fifth round that's a pick from the jets and the jets now have brandon marshall and zach stacy instead of adrian amos because of the trade that they made back uh, a few months ago so i think the jets might have won that one
1: I think the Jets probably won that one, unless Amos becomes an awesome multiple pro bowl, all pro safety.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of weird how devalued some of these players get traded for just a a throwaway draft pick, and you, you look back and you're like, what?
1: It's crazy, man. Hey, we warned you guys early that this was going to be an epic podcast to go for an epic sports weekend, and we didn't let you down. So we hope you made it this far. Hope you enjoyed us talking about the crazy weekend in sports. We offered some predictions, bragged a little bit, brought our confidence down a little bit. It's standard stuff here on What Are You Talking About? Thank you all once again for listening. Uh, Thank you all for your continued support on FenleyRoadSports.com. You can follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports, or Instagram, FenleyRoadSports. In Twitter, it's just RD. In Instagram, it's ROAD. So you can follow us there. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. Continue to support us and read our blogs. We're pushing out more content for you. Like we said, we launched the Clee Talk podcast. For you Cleveland fans, that'll be a monthly thing. We're certainly going to be working on some other bonus editions and things like that for the future. But right now, we just thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And come back next week for another episode of What Are You Talking About presented by familyroadsports.com, where we'll be talking sports once again. It's great doing it with once again, Bob, and uh, talk to you next week. Yeah, definitely. Talk to you soon, Chris. All right, take it easy.